Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan read the paper on Sunday, September 11th, 2022. Yeah, the anniversary of 9-11, but I guess it's the 21st anniversary now. Right, right. The terrible tragedy. Um, kind of puts a stop in your day. Yeah, to think well, about that. You know, I saw something in the paper today that said a quarter of the population alive today in the U.S. wasn't alive then. Oh, that seems impossible. It's true. And then, wow. and then that same article said there are three, three dates that kind of stop you in the tracks if you live through them. Uh, 9-11, uh, you know, November 22nd, 1963, the assassination of President Kennedy in December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. Very few, I think, are alive who experienced Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do the math on that. That's 81 years ago. Well, um, it's possible. plenty of people are 81, but they may not remember it. Yeah, they have to be 90 to remember it. Yeah. So, anyway, it's one of those days. We will remember that. Um, uh, in any case, it, fall is starting. Fall is starting. It's starting to feel a little bit like fall. And, um, and of course, that means uh, football. Yeah. Right? right? We watched some college football. Yesterday. On the television. So some this exciting weekend. Yeah. college football yeah. yesterday. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good beginning of the college football season. You're a college football fan of the two of us. I'm the pro football fan. I mean, you, you're, you like both, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I go to games. I just... Uh, I'll, I'll take you want to go. While I'm doing the fall chores, yeah. I like to have college football playing I, in the background. I'll take you to South Bend. You can see a Notre Dame game. Actually, the place to go... And we could go to Princeton and watch a game there. But the place to go, they say, is to go up to... Uh, West Point, watch an army game. Everyone talks about. I have about. done that. Did you really? Yes, I. Uh, when, when did you do it, that? It was in when uh, as a freshman at Princeton. Somebody took me on a date. There. Oh, I didn't know. I never heard of this story. <laughs> right. Do you want to tell me? No, who it no, was? it was an awful date, but it was fun. Do I know experience. the guy? No, I don't even remember his right. name. Not I don't need close. to hear the details. But, but how, how um, was West Point? The thing was, it is a spectacular setting to watch. Was it a nice a football day? game? Oh yeah, it was a nice day. Glorious uh, foliage, glorious views. That's a real from date. the stadium. That's a real date. It's a, it was a big, big deal. I don't know if it's still such a big deal, but it was, you know, back in the day, going to a college football game in general was a big deal. It was, you know, well, that's, you it's would, just as big a deal. It's just we don't do it. I don't, it would, you don't do it in the same way. When I was young, yeah, uh, we would, and my parents would, for the other my parents would drive yeah. through Princeton. Yeah, okay, and you would go past uh, the Princeton Inn, which was a. a hotel back then now it's actually a dorm and you would see girls walking out you know dates who had come from other colleges etc walking out heading to the game with these big uh, chrysanthemum corsages and so forth and there was quite an air of uh, excitement and of course those games would be jam Packed. Well, okay. So there's and, a lot and we going talked on to that. Lot. We talked about that before. That you know, with the advent of TV. Well, um, I don't know what the advent, etc. First of all, just so be clear, Tamsin, and the dates you're talking about, they played in Palmer Stadium. That stadium seated 50, 50, 50, 50 thousand people. Now, I don't think it was jam packed, but but I I, would, I know, wouldn't be surprised if they had thirty thousand. I beg people. to differ. You know, well, I, I you well, know, just so we're clear, the stadium they play in now, the new stadium, I think seats. 15,000 people. Right, right, that's one five. Right, right. And that's not jam packed. So no. I, a lot has changed. But the whole, you know, people 
don't need to go to the stadium to see the game. I don't I mean, know if it's that it's that simple an explanation. I, I remember sitting in my grandparents' living room and listening to games on the radio. Yeah. And there would just be such a roar. Um, you can't believe. Well, that was before the, the advent of television. Yeah. After that was uh, quite a time. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really. I'm just kidding. But so the NFL starts today. Yeah. And... Uh, and we'll watch some NFL, of course. And uh, the funny thing about the, no kidding. Yeah. the NFL... <laughs> we'll watch some NFL, well, of course. Well, the funny... Says Mr. Glued to the TV. Well, when the Giants play... Look, I, I'm a victim of the Giants. The Giants are going to be terrible, and I'll, I'll watch it, and I'll be miserable. Although I don't expect anything this fall, so I'm not going to be that miserable. But what amuses me about the beginning of the NFL season is every... No, you will be miserable. Okay, maybe I'll be miserable. I, see, you, don't you, you say the same thing with the Mets, you know? Uh, you you accept what the situation is and you still go crazy. Okay. But the, 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 the annual write in the New York Times is every year for the past 20 years. The, the Times predicts or hints at the demise of the NFL. The Times is agitated that people still... Uh, patronize professional football and pay attention to it because the Times is too high-minded for that. And the headline this today is Pro Football Rules the Sports Landscape but Warning Clouds Loom. All right, so I'm not going to read you the warning clouds because they're, they're not even uh, wispy clouds. Frankly, they're nothing. At times, just, you know, is uh, some things are times on top of and some things are kind of out of touch with. And this, they're out of touch with. The people like football, Okay. So uh, Times is wrong on this one. But uh, in any event, uh, we'll see. It looks shapes up as, uh, you know, another interesting NFL season. Uh, and the Giants are going nowhere, right? But Yeah, I mean, football's violent. Not as violent as Outlander, but violent. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not violent, but it's been violent for years and years. For the Times to that say... It doesn't make it good, just I'm not, because it's traditional I'm, violence. I'm not saying it's good. All I'm saying is it's popular. There's no denying that. And we can debate whether it ought to be popular or not. But to get into the wishful thinking game saying, because, because I don't think it's good, it therefore will no longer be popular. That's the game the Times is playing. And that's silly. Because it is popular. It will remain popular in the foreseeable future. And one learns from that. Okay? You take from it from what, uh, what it tells you. The Times usually comes down heavily on things that are for the entertainment of the wealthy. Heavily against or for? I don't know what Against. Well, this is nothing. This is this, not, which is interesting because that's not the this, NFL. this is not the case no, no, here. This is this is something that belongs to the people, yes, the masses, and, and uh, so so it's know, an anti-equity position. I, that, that's right. It doesn't fit with their politics. They ought to, they ought to clean that clean that up because their politics affect quite a bit of what goes on. But there's the no question; it's a dangerous thing it, to it do. It is. It is. It is a dangerous thing to do. But it obviously has tremendous uh, broad appeal. Um, okay. So in any event, speaking of broad appeal. We uh, went to uh, Mohonk this week, as we did yes. every once in a while, the famous Mohonk Mountain House, which we love. Yeah. And it never disappoints. Right. For no, and talk about hard to articulate why. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's the beauty of nature. We also, can you catch it? We were on a, a, what they would call a slow week, an off week. Yes. Because kids are back to school and we're in the middle of the week. So they run a thing called Music on the Mountain. Yeah. And we've talked before about jazz on the mountain. And we've talked about music on the mountain because we went, we accidentally went to it last year. Yeah. Uh, last couple of years we go. And uh, this year I wanted to go not even for the music, but uh, because I love swimming in that lake. 
and it's uh, you well, know one of the last chances to swim in the, the lake. The funny thing is, it's the perfect time of year to go. I guess no one realizes it because it is the last. You can still get in the water and swim, although you have to be a little bit uh, you know brave, brave to do it. <laughs> it takes a little guts, but you could do it. We do it. But the other thing is, and yet it's no longer too hot to hike. Not that it's ever too hot to That's hike. That's true. It, but it's you very pleasant hiking around. It's 70 yeah. degrees. And it's a wonderful place to hike. And you, you don't have the beautiful fall foliage no, yet. No, uh, But uh, you, you still have the lake to yeah. swim in. So yeah. that that's pretty cool. And it, it's an extraordinary place. Um, and, um, and we saw some nice music. We, listen, heard we, nice see, music. we see people we've never heard of and people generally will never see again. Um, but, uh, you know... It exposes us to different type of music. It's right. an esoteric... It's esoteric in the sense that they have different kind of acts. They have one sort of Broadway Yeah, there's act. a husband and wife act. Sue Anderson and Chris Gronendahl. And uh, they do Broadway stuff. She plays the piano. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, that was fine. That yeah. was entertaining. We've they're, they're a great pair. And then uh, later that night, there was Mara Cave. Originally from Brooklyn, now living in... Uh, L.A., I guess. L.A., yeah. California, somewhere. Yeah. And uh, she's a young woman. She was a riot. She was a, a blues singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was, uh, she had some great, um, she had a great group of uh, musicians there, including a guy on a resonator guitar mm-hmm. whose uh, playing was just fantastic. Uh, so, that, so that was fun. That's music we would never think to listen to. Yeah, she had a great voice. And it's funny, we're sitting at lunch. You see the performers at lunch. They walked by at lunch. At one point, you kind of grabbed them. You said, we really enjoyed it. And you said to the guy, so what kind of guitar is that? Is that electric or what? Is it, that's just acoustic? And he said, no, it's a resonator. So we'll have to look that up. I don't know. Yeah, and then there was a, uh, some jazz musicians, Wayne Tucker and the Bad Mothers. Mm, I like and, what you uh, said. That's good. Later in the later in the weekend, was, they're going to have Natalie Merchant. They're mm. going to have uh, our old buddy Scott Robinson, quirky jazz uh, horn player on the taragato. Well, you have to call him a horn player because he plays about eight different instruments. Eight is not even close. I think he plays like a zillion, yeah. and uh, he it's an he he plays this ancient Hungarian thing. Um, up on the sky top tower, yeah. so you can just uh, we we've never heard it, uh, but you can imagine what kind of actually back I, to nature I, experience I can't that imagine. is. I can't imagine, yeah. but I'm not so sorry to miss it. But good, he's good for him. So he's it, a nice guy. It's you know as usual is quirky. The the one um, a new unexpected thing about Mohawk this year was the food was good. Yeah, very um, good. So we we have no idea why. Yes. Um, but uh, and this was the first time we've been in a few years without masks. Uh-huh. And that's good, um, too. But, you know, you, you could imagine that we've been going back without complaining. The food was never good. Now the food's good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's crazy. Well, it's always been plentiful, hmm. you know. Yes. Uh, so, Especially uh, since you, no one wants it. So no, it's, it's good for the moment. Who knows what happens next week? Well, the other thing is we had started going regularly in January because they had a Music in the Mountain series in January. Jazz on the Mountain. Jazz on the Mountain. And that was hosted by Michael Bourne who apparently had been hosting that for 20 years or so. We just caught the last three or four years of that tenure. Uh, and as it happens, uh, he passed away a week or so ago. He was um, uh, at WBGO, a DJ at WBGO for 20 or more years, 
doing jazz and other things, and uh, at the same time writing for uh, Downbeat Jazz Magazine. Actually, I looked him up, and um, he has an interesting background. It turns out, you know, he went to school in Indiana, and he started getting a PhD, by getting a PhD in theater. Mm-hmm. And he said when he was in Indiana, he used to stay with his friend Kevin Klein, who was sort of a struggling actor then. And then he spent, like, he got a job in sort of an NPR station uh, as sort of a DJ, probably doing theater-type music. And then later, for whatever reason, he decided to go to New York in 1984. The, the first stint was in the 70s, early 70s. In 1984, and he was offered a job at WBGO. Uh, and all in that same week, he got a call from Kevin Klein saying that Kevin Klein, who was by now a movie star, mm-hmm. was going to have uh, a vacant apartment in New York for several weeks. Was Michael Bourne interested? And sure enough, it was Kismet. He was. Mm-hmm. And, and he's been at WBGO ever since. But he continued to do uh, some Broadway music. And he used to um, do theater reviews for them, in addition mm-hmm. to doing the jazz stuff. Yeah, I think I had heard that. Yeah. yeah. But in any event, just on jazz for a moment, he mm-hmm. clearly had a lot of contacts and a following, if you will, that enabled him to really book interesting music at Mohawk, which again, he did for 20 years or so, right? Yes. So we all benefited from a lot of people that he had. Right. Um, you know, uh, we could name a few of those folks, but... Uh, but when we were there... Yeah. Um, and... You know, I don't know much about jazz at all, and not that into jazz. You're the jazz guy in the family, but uh, one of the things about being at that jazz on the mountain was it w- it was so inclusive. Yeah. You know, and it was a uh, in terms of performers and audiences, a pretty diverse group, mm-hmm. and uh, diverse in I think the range of uh, taste in all, jazz, all kinds of music, and yeah. you know, and uh, yet. You you felt like one big family, mm-hmm. and uh, the um, performers seemed to love Michael Bourne. Yeah. I mean, they would come back year after year. Really you know, yeah. they, there clearly was a bond there, yeah. and a bond between uh, the performers and uh, Mohawk. Many times, the different performers different performers would talk about standing out on the frozen lake yeah. and playing in the middle of the night, or you know, uh, and uh, you know all these different interesting stories and he would uh, and he'd ramble on with uh, stories from throughout his career and how he discovered this person and found that person um and uh you know young women like helen sung would come up to him and give him a big hug clearly so uh yeah connected with him appreciated and, and i think they would enable them to sort of punch above their weight in terms of who they were attracting i mean Sometimes, and, and now, frankly, you do see it with Michael Bourne gone, they're attracting people who are, like, teaching in the area, who are mm-hmm. doing jazz stuff. Well, we, Hel- we, Helen Sung- all right, we're not really experts on this. Let's, no, but yeah, Helen Sung- just- I just want to say Helen Sung is going to be a Carnegie Hall this fall. So, you know, it's, it's, right. it's, it's no small thing. Well, she, yeah, but she's uh, she's been back to Mohonk since. Yeah, and she gone. has, yeah. Um, so, but in any way, in any case, it was always a... Tremendous experience to be there. And uh, yeah, he was an interesting guy. He was a very interesting guy. And obviously, a lot of and appeal across. Uh, a lot of connections. Whole, yeah. Whole, you know, everyone had nice things to say about him. And he inspired a lot of loyalty. And he really helped that program uh, work because everyone felt that they wanted to show up for, for Michael uh, at Mohawk. So he'll be missed. 
Um, okay, so uh, in terms of theater, though. Uh, well, you... that, like I said, it's fall. Yeah, so you. So look... now the theater season is starting up, right, right. and the New York Times had their big, you know, their sections for arts and leisure mm-hmm. on theater, on right. film, right. on the arts, right. on music, etc. Right. And uh, so and I... we have not made it through the whole. Yeah, you can't paper. I mean, there's a big Tom Stopper article which I want to read. I haven't even gotten to yet. Right, but there's, um, you know, they did have this uh, you know, big um, list of things. Yeah, coming up. Coming up. Um, so what did you see that... And, and I saw, and there were a lot of ads. I, it wasn't all articles. Yes. And yes. <laughs> I, I didn't, I got to say, I didn't see one movie I was interested in. Oh, I agree with that. And that doesn't mean I won't love a, a bunch of the movies. Right. But, but you can never tell from the descriptions right. that they're remotely interesting. I, yeah. I give up on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what I, what I want to see in terms of theater... I'm always curious about anything by Tom Stoppard. Right. So Leopoldstadt, which is about, I guess, um, which is kind of inspired by his Jewish background. Mm -hmm. I think he's supposedly in his old age. He's looking backward more. Right. Um, And it's about a Jewish family in Vienna. Vienna, yeah. Um, So that, I think, may be interesting. Um, what else? I know you're not interested in Sweeney Todd. Well, I, I'm not a Sweeney Todd fan. I, you know, I, I like Sondheim generally, and there are people who think that that's his best. And to me, it doesn't move me. But, but Josh we, Groban is going to be in that. I don't know how that it, cuts. I mean, it's okay. He's a great voice. Uh-huh. But I always find, well, I've only seen him in one thing, the Pierre and uh, Natasha comic thing. And he was okay, but he was a little bit uh, over the top for me. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so how about, uh, let's see what, else. well, we've already seen Kimberly Akimbo, which yeah. is a, a play we talked about, right. we saw uh, well, off-Broadway. And that's going to be a tough transfer to Broadway. I'm curious to see how that goes, because that, that barely filled the stage at the Atlantic Theater. And uh, let's see. If I don't know what you mean by barely filled. It's a thin it was a, play. It's, it, but it's, it, it works, but it, it, it's... Uh, and it has a silly premise. It's, it's not a, a spectacular, by right. any means. So, it's a young girl who is aging. Right. Ra- you know, super. It's a very rapidly. strange premise. So, and, so and Vicky Clark, yeah, plays an it. older, a mature actress, plays the young girl. And eventually, by At virtue of the disease, the, the, the girl comes to look as old as Vicky. Clark. I mean, no, it She's sounds. Very good. It sounds impossible to right. like. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, and yet it was... It was very good. It was terrific. Uh, so there's that. Fiddler in Yiddish is coming back. Yeah. I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued yeah. by that. Although, you know, I will say, you know, I heard on Sirius Radio, I did hear a cut of that. You don't hear that very often. So they did the song Tradition in oh, really? Yiddish. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how did Have you ever heard one of those cuts? I haven't. No, I haven't. It was interesting. Okay. It was... Did you understand any of it? No, not really. I'm not going to say that. I, I get a few words. Did at but any that, point they say Machmir Malton? Machmir Malton. Machmir Malton. Uh, yes. Gnuchin. No. No, they don't say that. Um, but uh, I don't know. It was oddly compelling. Uh, you know You know why? 
Why? Because, at least in my case, maybe a lot of people's cases, you know the words of the songs so well. You, you don't, don't need, need to hear them. You, you honestly don't need, don't need yeah, to hear yeah. them. So uh, to hear someone sing with a certain level of emotion in a different language of words that you know, um, I guess opera's a little like that. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. So the, And there's a bunch of things I know nothing about. K-pop? Yeah, that's uh, just, you know, the development of a Korean pop group, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. Is that, are you sure that's what it's about? Yeah, I am. Right. Uh, but uh, I'm not... And I'm, Juliet? I don't know anything about that. I didn't... What happens afterwards? How about a musical version of Some Like It Hot? Well, let me, I, let me put, uh, sort of comment on that, all right? Yeah. I have never found that film funny, okay? <laughs> and you, you know, Some Like It Hot with Jack Lemmon. And... Um, you often see that listed in AFI or other lists as the funniest movie of all time. And right. I have not been able to get through 15 minutes in that movie. And what it really comes down to is something even more basic. The idea of a man dressing up in women's clothes or women muffed or something like that has never struck me as funny. It's not offensive. It's just I'm going, okay, what's the joke? It doesn't just make you laugh. But there's a big tradition in that, going back to hasty pudding and Harvard and people like roll in the aisles. Just you know? to see a man walk out in the skirt. Yeah. Benny Hill. Oh, hysterically funny. I don't right. get it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll pursue this. <laughs> Perhaps with professional help. Okay. <laughs> um, but so uh, moving right along. Well, there, there's a man of no importance, classic stages doing that, which is reviving us. So I'm curious about right. that. Right? Um, so I... The ad for this had a uh, quite excited review. Jefferson Mays in Christmas yeah, Carol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's saw, doing all the parts. I, I read that. I and read the, the we, article about it. Yeah. We love it when one guy does all the parts. Well, right? they wrote the article and I'm saying, when are you going to mention Patrick Stewart? Because he's done this already. And it's and it's the CD It's the that you listen to I listen every, every year. year. And, I, and what I'm saying to myself... How do you write this article? They say not mention. They say there's not new, mention the master. Well, but you're writing you're like this is a new crazy idea. The guy's gonna do every single part. And I'm saying to myself, no, no, no. Not only was it done by Patrick Stewart, not only is he well known in popular culture, but it was a celebrated on Broadway thing. The guy who wrote it didn't know about this. You wrote an article about this with not out knowing about. It? I mean, Jefferson Mays is fine. Right, we saw him in uh, you know what's the thing My Fair Lady is based on? Well, it was George Bernard Shaw. Uh, Pygmalion. Pygmalion. We saw him in Pygmalion. We've seen him in other things. He's fine, but uh, how you can how you can talk about it without talking about uh, the other production? I don't understand. But in any event, that's that's December already. That's Christmas. You got nothing else on your list? How about Ain't No Mo? I don't know anything about it. Okay, you've got me. Piano lesson. Well, piano lesson. The August Wilson thing. Uh, cost of living. I don't know anything about that. Right. So there, yeah, there's uh, lots we'll of see. stuff coming down we'll the pipe. We'll see, but not much. I mean, they had a separate article by Jesse Green about musicals coming. Mm-hmm. And that's where you, uh, he did... No, no, it was only musicals on Broadway. Yeah. Okay? And none of them, none of them seemed interesting to me. I mean, look, there's the uh, Merrily. There's a production of Merrily coming. That's not Broadway. Right. right? Uh, so they all. You mean the the Sondheim Merrily roll along? Merrily roll along. Oh, here's something though. You did mention that you could possibly see Funny Girl. Okay, so here's with Leah Michelle. Here, here's my prediction on that. Against right. all odds, against all publicity and negative publicity, my prediction is that Leah Michelle and Tova Fulcher, Fulcher in Funny Girl is going to be a hit, and okay. I think it'll be interesting. Well, we should just mention that uh, Funny Girl was revived yeah. for the first time. Ever, yeah, because it was so burdened 
with the <laughs> image of Barbara Streisand playing yes. the role. Yeah. Okay. Live up to that. And it was revived. Yeah. And it was not well received no, not this at all. year. Not at all. And uh, the star is le- was leaving early. Yeah. The lead was leaving early. Lots of stories, even on the TV, about the, the young woman stepping in to take her place. And uh, and then, uh, you know, the next step is for Leah Michelle, who, you know, to take it over. You know, the, you know, the funny girl that everyone loves to hate. Yeah. Uh, because uh, well, we'll see. she's I... famous for doing it. She was on that show, Glee. Glee. Yeah. And uh, she... You know, made a career out of singing the funny girl songs. Well, but there's a reason why she did. She's she's kind of good at that. Okay. I hate to say it. But, <laughs> so, look, what what where they went wrong? I'll tell, tell you right now. What I think they went wrong in in the revival is they thought it was a show about a woman who's an ugly duckling and, and who somehow was accepted because she's her talent. That's not what it's about. It's about a woman with an incandescent talent who ascends. That's what it's about. And okay. it's a little bit different. And uh, that's what Barbara Streisand was. And that's what Leah Michelle could be. We'll see. What do I know? Um, anything else on theater? Or should we go to tennis? No, you can go to tennis. Tennis. All right. So the tennis has continued, even though uh, Sadie and I were there last Sunday. They played a whole other week of it. And some of it's been... Even though, though all the stars have uh, dropped out, it's still going on. It's still going on. Yeah, well, there are people writing saying Serena's gone, so what's the point? And I'm saying, I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> Getting a lot of people. But... Uh, there were a couple of funny articles uh, this week about it. And, and, you know, we could talk about the results, but you can get that somewhere else. But um, two things. One thing just struck me. It turns out the women use different tennis balls than the men. I mean, that sounds yes, like I a, noticed that. a 19th so, century concept. Well, the balls, the men's balls are hairier. Yes, Thompson. I'm glad you got that line in. <laughs> did you write that down or did oh. you, you just came up with that formulation? I'm just describing them. They have looser threads or yeah. something, yeah. so they get more spin. No, well, it has two. They do, you can spin it more, but it also slows them down. And by having the less of that kind of surface, if I can use it, that, describe it that way, on the, on the balls that the women are using, they'll go faster. Okay? The balls go faster for the women? Yeah. Why do they want them to go faster for the women? Uh, I don't make that decision. I think, so, you know, well, obviously the men are more powerful. They're hitting the ball harder and it makes the, the women's game speed up a little oh. bit and it approaches the men. I'm, but I'm projecting. I don't know why they do what they do. I suspect that's why. And some women complain because they do rely on touch strokes, you know, cutting the ball a little bit, hitting it softly, making it bounce almost backwards. But you can't do that so much if you don't have as, as much as you But this here. is only the open. The Open. They're different the rules U.S. For different, Open. Different rules is for it? different tournaments. Okay. And, and the Open, I think, is different than most tournaments. But I just, Do you suppose the women actually practice with the other balls? Practice? When they practice for the Open, they practice for the ball they're going to use in the tournament. Okay. Uh, why just ask. They? I don't know. They're widely available. I do not play tennis. They're widely available. Anyway, that sort of struck me as odd. I don't get it. I did notice I'm watching this year. I'm saying, gee, the women are hitting the ball almost as hard as the men. And then I read this. So, who knows? Um, the uh, second thing... That struck me as just interesting. The Times had an article about the fact that there's a junior tournament that takes... Can I just say, just below yeah. the tennis stuff, yeah. there were tips on how to clean your toaster. Yes. You, on know, what, that same you know what the page. first tip was? What? Unplug it. <laughs> and I once, think that's a good idea. Once they said unplug it, I turned the page. I said, no, okay. Well, I don't you missed some good tips. You missed Number one, the last tip, which yeah. was one of the better ones, do not turn it upside down and shake it. 
Because which is my way of doing it. Because why? Because uh, it loosen it can loosen some of the soldering of the elements. Mm. You know, have you ever looked in there and they're not all lighting up? It's yeah. probably because I would you know, think that's, been, that it's would, been over that's, that's what I would call bad, bad soldering. And um, yeah. and they also mentioned uh, if you if you want to um, uh, get like the crumbs out of the you know stuck out of where they are yeah. in the elements use a um, long thin paintbrush hmm. to stick in yeah. and brush away like one you note. might use right. and that seems very clever because I'm always wondering what could you stick in there hmm. with to that wouldn't do any damage okay. but well, anyway it's going to be hard to top that. I just uh, yeah so, there was uh, so go back to tennis I know yeah. I just it was on the same page not sure why Tennis toasters, maybe it's just uh, alliteration. But go on, go on with your was, tennis. Uh, uh, you know, Times is now written in alphabetical order. It's in T. Uh, the art, well, the other point that I was going to get to was that there's a junior tournament that takes place at the same time as the Open, and they had an article about the fact that the junior tournament is attended by a lot of college coaches who are actually looking there, who are scouting. Yeah, it's scouting mostly international talent, and they're oh, saying, interesting. Uh, yeah, how can we attract them to our university? And it's they said it's a little awkward because there's so many coaches and they try to be polite to each other. They don't want to seem too pushy and aggressive, but they're all kind of waiting in line to talk to these talents from these other countries. Yeah. And they did – there was a Princeton men's coach and a Princeton women's coach there. Hmm. Uh, and so there's a little bit uh, of a protocol in terms of how you deal with people. And you want – of course, there's sometimes there are people that are just protecting their recruits. They want to show their support. You know, someone from Poland has already signed up to go to whatever school – and you want them to do well, but you don't want them to do too well. Because if they do too well, they'll just go pro. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the same way that John McEnroe did years ago when he skipped going to Stanford. So Stanford kind of missed out on having a big help in there. Except now he can, they can make money with endorsements in college. So. Yeah, but not uh, – no. They, they'd make I mean, more money on the tour. Really? Because you're not you're, – you're going back to the Paige Buchers thing. The thing with Paige Buchers is a basketball player at Connecticut – her name is famous, Paige Buchers. If, if you're playing you're, first singles at Princeton, you're not famous. Okay? You're just not famous. I, who knows what those Ivy Leaguers care about, you know? <laughs> and there was an article on John McEnroe. At 63, McEnroe looms over the court. Get used to it. And it was a very strange article. I mean, I know there's a lot of coverage of McEnroe, including an interview on CBS that we saw. Because there is a Showtime uh, a documentary on him. Uh and, uh, all right, so there's a lot of attention. And the theme of the Times article was that, you know, he looms over tennis or other people have faded. Other people were in some ways more successful than him. And they mentioned that there are a number of people who won more Grand Slams than he did, including Jimmy Connors, Andre Agassi, and Yvonne Lendl, and, of course, Borg and Pete Sampras. I could go on. So but, what's the fuss? But he's, he's stayed a big uh, presence, and he's doing the television. Well... Uh, strangely, the theory of this article, the theme of this article, is one of the things that contributes to his popularity is his bad behavior. Right. And that's 100% incorrect. Um, I mean, McEnroe even says... How, can you, how do you even know that? Well, because he the was a jerk. squeaky wheel gets no, the grease. No. Well, they, they say, well, you know, tennis has caught up with him. People respond to his bad behavior. I was there at the time. No one was responding to his bad behavior. It was awful. It was inexcusable. 
There's no shine. People were noticing, <laughs> and people haven't forgotten it. That's not it. That's what, the thing. What it is is you have these can, other nice, polite, well-behaved, no. nicely dressed uh, tennis stars, and nobody remembers but them they're not because they all tennis. seem the same. They don't talk like they he win. Is. He's a smart guy. Speaks well. He still plays. He still plays, and he still coaches. Not people. like those. Baseball players <laughs> who give it up. He's a presence because he's continued to work on the game, and he actually is an accomplished commentator. He's very frank. He knows the game. He speaks well. His brother, Patrick, does it with him and calms him down when he goes off the rails. He has a lot going for him. They have a quote here that I can't even believe is right, and I think they say is part of the CBS interview. He says, maybe I wasn't so bad after all. These guys who were trying to run me out of the game, maybe they should have been trying to help me instead of hanging me out to dry back in the 1980s. That's nonsense, okay? There was no helping Macro in the 80s. He was off the rails. His parents couldn't help him. They even quote him here that he was he feels bad that he cursed his father out during one of the matches. And yet, you know, no one was helping him? I mean, he had a problem, okay? And, you know, and good. So he wasn't canceled. You shouldn't be canceled. He's a great tennis player, and he's an interesting guy. I'm not saying he should be canceled. But that wasn't a plus, all right? That wasn't a plus. And to say that tennis has caught up to him, because a lot of other people, you know, occasionally other people have bad behavior, and they they cite the Serena Williams incident uh, with Osaka. They, they cite the Kyrgios, who we saw the other day. Right. And Kyrgios can't help himself. He has a serious problem. This is There's no positive upside to this. It's a negative. Any event... There's one funny story here I thought you'd like, all right? And this shows you what a boorish guy he was. Apparently, he's, um, well, I should mention, one of the stories is that, you know, there's a fellow named Peter Renner, too, Michael, my brother, who was in the same program, the Harry Hopman's tennis program that McEnroe was in, had made me aware of Peter Renner, who was a friend of McEnroe's and played doubles with him. And McEnroe says in this article, his parents used to hold up Peter Renner. As uh, he said, why can't you be more like Peter? So it's just funny. It reminded <laughs> me of that discussion. But the other funny thing is, I think Mary Carrillo was in that program with him also. Uh, and she played mixed doubles with him. And she still does commentating also. And she says she was uh, she was in a, uh, in a Paris cafe with him. They were there during the French Open. And McEnroe spent several minutes yelling, omelette du fromage, which was the only French he spoke. And a waiter who ignored him. <laughs> And the waiter finally wandered over and quietly but dismissively told McEnroe, the omelet is closed. (laughs) (laughs) And I say here, to this day, this is Carrillo talking, when we're arguing about something and I'm done with it, I just say to McEnroe, the omelet is closed. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a line I think that's worth remembering. Right. All right, so there was this great article about whales, which we can both talk about because I don't think either of us truly understand it. Not Wales, the country, the place. No, Wales as in Wales, as in these big... uh, W-H-A-L-E-S. Yeah. It says, Wales pick up a catchy tune when they hear it. All right? And I'll just read this paragraph saying, A study published last Tuesday, scientists found that humpback songs easily spread from one population to another across the Pacific Ocean. It can just take a couple of years for a song to move several thousand miles. So let's... Um, unpack that for a second. Uh, well, and, and, and oh, then there's a quote from Ellen Garland, marine biologist at University of St. Andrews in Scotland. She says, quote, half the globe is now vocally connected for whales, and that's insane. Well, let me go, let me agree with this woman. It's insane. There, to unpack it, there are two things going on. 
The second is that the tunes are being distributed throughout the globe, and I'll come back to that. But the first is, did you know that whales sing? Yes. How did you know that? I don't know. I, you know, I, I think I've actually bought a CD. What? Yeah. You have a CD of whales singing? Yeah, I think so. Oh my God. I can't remember why it appealed to me. I thought maybe it would be relaxing. Um, but well, yeah. it's relaxing to other whales, I assume. Maybe it was, you know, popular at some point what? 20 years ago. What? I don't know. But whales sing during mating season. Really? It says it in the article, Dan. Please read the article. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're trying to figure out why exactly they sing. But um, they think it might be to attract the females, like birds. Yeah. And uh, they sing in a particular locale. They all sing the same song, perhaps with some slight variations. Yeah. And somehow adjacent whales pick up part of the song or one of the whales strays and the song moves. Right. It can move. So right. in this article, they're watching the songs move, right. you know, from like Australia across to Ecuador. Right. And down around right. so it starts to like Brazil. At some point they're saying they're singing this song in Brazil and this song in Australia. And the next year... They're picking up in uh, Brazil the Australian song because some have made their way over there. It takes a while. Yeah, and there it's are thousands of on the miles. Thing. This is this is the word insane. No, no, this Daniel, is crazy. Wait a minute. I, you know I what I've been telling you. Fish know stuff. It's not a fish. Okay. There's a, a lot. Oh, what else right. are mammals? All right. Animals. Yeah. Mammals. Animals yeah. and fish yeah. and birds. They all. They. There's a lot going on. There's a lot we don't know yet. Well, according to this, the whales off Ecuador are putting French Polynesian themes in their songs. Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> who doesn't love a little French Polynesian? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Get with the program. Why is yeah. this in the front page of the newspaper? I mean, this is this is on in, in uh, page three of the D section. Uh, I guess it's the science. The science, yeah. science. It's not even the lead second lead story of the Science Times. I I think I'm gonna have to dig through my CDs see if I can find. Really? It. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Oh, I, I don't think it's as you know yeah. new to the world. All right. You, think. you are the expert in this. And finally, an article that we both this is not new either. And I, but I this think is, this is this is. But I think we have discussed this before. Oh, no, this is a great article. Come on. No, no, we have discussed Diggerland, USA. It's unbelievable. Because I remember I was driving up from uh, Washington once, and you see the billboard, Diggerland, come to Diggerland. And I said, that would be a great birthday gift for my brother. Yeah. You know, well, now I have it, a different. Except that my brother does own some of his own earth movers well, anyway. You got to so. explain what it is. So it's an amusement park. This uh, Diggerland USA is actually for children and uh, for children 36 inches or higher. So let me stop you right there. How taller. tall are Pepper and Hansi? I don't think they're 36 inches yet. Okay. Oh, anyway, um, and you, they can come and they get a chance to drive certain construction-type vehicles. Right. Okay. Some modified, they can dig dirt. Now, it's free for under 36 inches. Anybody can sit on Dad's lap and yeah. do it for free. But per, but per person... I would spare no expense. That, that's not the no, point. No, per person, it's like $40. That's fine. A person. But the point is... Yeah, so just, just to make it clear, 
if the you can put any child on your lap and the child can be at the controls and of course the parents helping at the controls yeah. and you're moving this big earth moving equipment you're moving big clumps of earth and the kid is you know either 100% rightly or wrongly or, is certainly into the fact that the kid is moving the earth and probably has a lot to do with what's going on. It must be fan, it must be thrilling for the right kid. Well, and they have all kinds of other stuff, uh, yeah. modified vehicles. You don't need that other the kids stuff. Kids can, can well, drive. There, there are others that yeah. you can. You don't have to be in your. Dad's and then lap. at night they smooth the dirt out so people, new Do people, can day. come the next day and dig new holes. Well, when the kid's older, you can put the kid in vehicles. In which the kid really can operate it mm-hmm. and operate it by themselves. And you talk about your brother; they do have next to Diggerland. Well, adults. they have Digger Diggerland XL. Yes, and that is pricey. Okay, well, forget the price. You know what? No, that's that's price. like uh, you know, um, that's that's like over a hundred dollars for mm. two hours. Really? And you get one to three machines. Yeah. All right. And you can do one machine for all three at two hours or one hour, or you know you can do three different machines. But you get to during the period. You get to pretend that you're no. Good. Well, you get to use it's real equipment, yeah. and uh, so that can be very, I guess, exciting. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's exciting if you don't have that kind of job already, right? <laughs> yeah. So you lawyers will probably find it, you know, just a real treat. I'm not interested. I'm not sure the land maintenance guys uh, want to do that on their birthday. You think your brother would be but interested think, or not? And there are other businesses that do it. There's one, there's another chain called Extreme Sandbox. Yeah. Okay. And I think that is basically for adults. Mm-hmm. All right. And... Um, they, their packages cost hundreds of dollars. Is that right? They have like a supreme package that's five hundred dollars, yeah. and for another seven fifty, yeah. another seven hundred and fifty dollars, yeah. you get to crush a car. Oh, great! Look, look, look! A My perfectly point, good car. To go back to the beginning of this, okay? Yeah. This has Hazi written all over it. <laughs> okay, well, I, can just just see, growing. I can just see. I can just holding Hazi and Hazi operating this with his eyes wide no question about have it. you ever had a desire to and it's in new jersey to, to have I? operate heavy machinery no no, no. probably very, granger hasn't either but Hazi, where are we going to get somebody to get go with hazy it's going to have to be bryce we'll find somebody yeah well it's going to have to be my brother i think you could do it I could do it. Yes. Um, you might be my, my choice. I'm, you know, I remember when my father, um, I've only driven a truck once with my father. <laughs> we driven a truck and, um, You're ahead of me. Honey. I mean, I've, I've driven U-Hauls, okay? Well, but so I did, I. my father was explaining me to me in great detail how to drive the Jeep, one mm. of the, you know, the, one of his smaller trucks years ago. And it was a Jeep and uh, he was, you know, explaining everything very carefully to me about letting out the clutch and pressing right, on the right, gas. Yeah. It was in the backyard. He did not mention the steering wheel once. Right. And uh, so when he finally, you know, I sat down and I st- started it up and was stepping on the gas and letting out the clutch, I drove right into the pond. Oh, God. Well, it wasn't a big pond. Listen, I've was... driven a U-Haul with a standard transmission once. And of course, as you well know, my teacher was your mother. <laughs> And I stalled out at every toll booth 
between here and Maryland. Right. But well, the, I think the trucks are not quite as satisfying yeah. as earth movers yeah. is, uh, is what I'm getting. But anyway, All right. so, so that's that wraps it up here. And I hope you will extend the invitation to Pepper as well. I will, but oh, there is a picture of a young girl here. Does that not remind you of uh, Pepper in a few years? Yeah, with her hand on the controls. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, get ready, kids. All right. So, uh, until then, this is Dan Abuhoff. Yeah, we're going to go watch uh, some football now. Yes. Tamsin Granger with Dan and Tamsin. Tamsin, Tamsin it's and called Dan. Tamsin and Dan. I think of it as Dan and Tamsin. So really, do I. Let's be honest. Okay? <laughs> I think everyone does. See you next week.